Our message today comes from the book of Revelation, chapter 21. Hear these words. See, the home of God is among mortals. He will dwell with them. They will be his peoples, and God himself will be with them. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. Death will be no more. Mourning and crying and pain will be no more, for the first things have passed away. And the one who was seated on the throne said, See, I am making all things new. And he said, Write this, for these words are trustworthy and true. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. So I have to admit that this sermon has been incredibly difficult to write because I get to talk about something that none of us have experienced. How exciting. Um, when I was in seminary, uh, we took a class on eschatology, which is a, a fancy theological word for end things. Any discussion about heaven, uh, the new earth, um, resurrection, all these things fall into that category. Uh, the books written by scholars are about as confusing as you could imagine. Uh, they have to explore a number of passages within our holy scriptures and sort of compile them into some sort of systematized list that helps give us a, a picture, whether it's complete or not, <laughs> about the things to come. And so it's, uh, it's quite a challenge to sort of put it into words. And uh, I promise we would do it, though. If you recall, last week we talked about the three types of healing that God brings. We talked about the out-of-the-ballpark miracle. We talked about the healing through medicine, hospitals, and doctors, and counselors, and that all healing comes from God. And the third healing we talked about was this wholeness, this resurrection, other side sort of healing. And I promised you, and I'm good at my promise, I promised you that we would drill down deep on that one. And so today, uh, let's make good on that promise and drill down as best as we can on that. And so may you never say that you never heard a sermon on resurrection and heaven and all those confusing things, because this is that sermon for you. Uh, I'll try and make it digestible. We'll do our best. Um, because you and I live on what I'm going to call this side of eternity, currently. Over there, wherever there might be, I haven't decided what, what, what side I want to point to, over there <laughs> is that side of eternity, right? Um, there are theologians who call it the now and the not yet. There are glimpses in scripture when we see that side or the not yet. My favorite passage to talk about the now and not yet actually has nothing to do with death, death and resurrection. It has everything to do with um, the, um, the transfiguration of Christ. Jesus takes Peter, James, and John on top of a mountain, and he pulls back the heavens and reveals it to them, which jacks them up in all sorts of beautiful ways, right? Try to explain that to your drinking buddies, right? After you go out and you see that, and you come back and you go, well, see, Jesus took me on this field trip, and then I saw something that I can't explain. That's that side. So how do we put into words that side? How do we talk about healing and resurrection and wholeness. Oftentimes, we'll talk about heaven as sort of this other destination with uh, pearly gates, uh, golden streets, um, white bathrobes, whatever it may be. And those things are helpful to kind of get a framework of what that over there is talking about. I want us to sort of merge these two today 
and say that they're really not that different as we think they are. And our scriptural witnesses will point us to particular truths that help us see how undifferent they are at times. Uh, we tend to not give a whole lot of uh, airtime to heaven in churches. And I don't know about you, but it doesn't really come up in conversation with my friends very frequently. Um, often during um, funerals is when we'll talk about it as the church. But other than that, I don't think I've ever really sat through a sermon series on resurrection and heaven. I know here we did a series on um, heaven and resurrection. We used, uh, I believe it was N.T. Wright's book, Dr. Wright's book, as we worked through some of that. But that's, that's about it. It's not really a huge um, conversation at cocktail parties, right? It doesn't really pack it out and friends don't really gather around for that sort of thing. For some people, it is the goal. They live their entire life just waiting to get to heaven, right? They want to punch the ticket and they're, they're glad. They're like waiting for that day. So for some people, it is totally the goal. For other people, it's sort of a, a holy mystery, something that we don't discuss a whole lot. And there is a traditional view about heaven is that it is um, the reward for a just life. I think that is a helpful thing to hold in the back of your head, but that's not really our focus today. For our purpose today, I want to focus on three things within our passage from Revelation. The first is God dwelling among us. The first one is God dwelling among us. The second one is that there'll be no pain. We're given new bodies. No pain. We're given new bodies. And the third is that God is making all things new. God is making all things new. So now at this point, you might be saying, what does this have to do with healing? And uh, I'm going to test this a little bit here. Uh, I would push back on your sort of um, hypothetical interlocutory question and say, um, what do you think needs healed? So I'm going to ask you all, a little audience participation here, what do you think needs healed? Say it louder. Our hearts. What else? Our bodies. Our physicalness, right? What else? What needs healed? Relationships. Just look at this past election cycle. Our society, our politics, how we interact with one another, who my neighbors are at the grocery store, who do I yield to at the four-way stop? All of this needs healed. Our hearts, our minds, our souls, our bodies. I think we are a very, very sick people. You could say our world needs healed. Our environment needs healed. All these things need healed. And so maybe this passage that talks about um, God making all things new, this is actually all about healing. It's all about healing. So we're going to encounter how God is dwelling among us, how there'll be no pain, we'll be given new bodies, and how God is making all things new. But before we do that, I need to do a good, about, a good amount of logic laying the ground here. Because I don't want to be the person who stands up and say, you should believe it because the Bible says so. I don't think that that's very helpful for, um, for you. It's not helpful for me, right? I never really bought it when someone said, oh, of course I believe that just because you told me to. I'm not that sort of person. And so I want to do a little bit of uh, philosophy with you this morning. I know some of your eyes are glazing over right now. I see it. I promise to make it a little interesting on why we can trust what we're going to say. Because let's just take a moment, right, and just set down the Bible and say, we read a passage out of Revelation, y'all. And for me just to say, 
trust it. It's good. Let's pray and go home. I don't think we're doing anybody any justice. So first, why in the world can we trust this thing? Why in the world can we trust what God says about that side being true? I'm going to have to borrow from my friend Carl Bart here and ask the question, well, who do we know this God to be? This God is a revealing God, a God who sent Jesus to live among us, a God who reveals God's self to us through family, friends, and relationship, a God who reveals God's self to us in nature. This God is trustworthy and true and reveals things about God's self every day. And those things seem to line up with our reality. They seem to line up with how we perceive God. This proves that God is trustworthy. So when the Bible says that God is making all things new, it's not an empty promise. God is trustworthy, and God will make good on God's promise. So let's hop into this first one, God dwelling among us. Part of our ailment is that we do not know God. And this all stems back to the garden when we were created in intimacy and community and union with God and each other. And then, quite frankly, we told God where to stick it, and we walked away. And you could argue that the rest of the Bible is God chasing after us, pursuing us, trying to restore the community that we messed up in the first place. And that side in the coming of whatever the new earth and new heaven will be, that is full communion with God. It is unity with God where we are joined together once again in relationship with God that is restored to something like the garden. So if you want to know what that will be like, you need not to look farther than the first couple chapters of Genesis when God walks with Adam and Eve in the garden and they have conversation They talk about the Texans. They hang out and they're grilling and they are enjoying each other's company. This sort of union together with one another. They know each other. And I think part of our ailment in society is that we don't know God. We don't spend time to cultivate our own souls and we do not spend time to read our Bible. We do not spend time in prayer. We are a rushed people. And so when it says that God will dwell among us, that is good news. It is good news that God will be here and with us and among us, and we will no longer try to strive and break away from God because God is making all things new. That's the first thing that that chapter in Revelation um, points out to me. God is returning us back into communion with him. The second one, right, is that there is no more pain and that we are given new bodies. Another part of our ailment on this side is that there is death and decay. And even in the gospel stories, right, Jesus has a good friend, Lazarus, who dies, and Jesus resurrects him. So there's this kind of wear and tear on our earthly bodies. There are 10 accounts of resurrection in all the gospels, and you'd think it might be all of one particular sort of socioeconomic level or all sort of whatever it might be. But no, there are 10 accounts of people in varying levels of society from nobility all the way down to servants. 10 different accounts from four separate witnesses. It's a powerful testament of that thing to come, the wholeness that is coming, the resurrection of the body. 
And now you might be asking a question, because I certainly ask a question. Okay, Josh, that's great. Um, we proclaim that there's a resurrection of the body in the Apostles' Creed, right? Nod your head, following along with me. That's that moment where like the pastor second guesses himself. He's like, is that the right creed? Yeah, the Apostles' Creed. We proclaim the resurrection of the body. And so we believe that. We say those words. But like, what does that mean, right? Luckily for us, there's a little bit of exposition in Scripture about what our new bodies will be like. Paul says that we will be like him who was raised. We will be like Christ, which to me doesn't really clear it up a whole lot. I sort of say, I don't know what that is. So you have to go back to the resurrection stories to see, well, what will we be like if we're to be like Jesus? And the Gospel of John is probably our best example of what that resurrection narrative is all about. You'll recall the story with me that the women are rushing to the tomb on Easter to anoint the body, right? And then the, the, they find the tomb empty, and Mary, supposing him to be the gardener, sees Jesus. They engage in a conversation. She recognizes that it's Jesus. That's really important. She recognizes that it's Jesus, which means he has physical attributes, and he looks like himself. He doesn't look like some sort of alien. He doesn't look like some perfected platonic subtype of him, right? Some of you are following with me. He looks like Jesus. Mary recognizes him. And then what does she do? She hugs him. And Jesus says, do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. That means that he has a body. He is physically resurrected. You cannot hug a ghost, right? Mary recognizes him and grabs hold of him, which means he has corporality. He is physical, and it is a good thing. Jesus will later appear to the disciples. This is where it gets a little trippy, right? He appears to Thomas, and Thomas can, like, put his hand into his side. And so even the, the physical marks about Jesus' life somehow are carried, somehow. But Jesus does not feel any pain. He doesn't even seem to mind. He says, this is who I am. This is my story. I'm the resurrected Messiah. By his wounds we'll be made healed. We'll be made whole. So Jesus, you can, he's recognizable by his physicalness. He has concepts of his narrative or his life or his story transcend over to that side. And he's recognizable. This is a good news that his body is much like his body on this side as it is on that side. Tracking so far? Okay, whew, we're doing good. Like I said, you can read the books on eschatology if you want. If you're having trouble sleeping, I recommend them. So we will have new bodies, and God restores and heals our bodies. So Paul claims that we will be like, and the gospel writers will attest to that as well. My last point is that all things are made new. I think another part of our ailment in this life, something that needs healing, is that we really have a myopic view of reality. We have this sort of nearsightedness. We only see what's sort of right in front of us. We don't rarely kind of pull up and see things from any bigger perspective. And you heard Pastor Peter allude to this in the children's message. I think Paul talks about this the best. He says, now we only see dimly, like in a, a foggy mirror. But when we will be like Christ, we'll see him face to face, and you can imagine that you'll, your eyesight is somehow more fuller. It's enhanced. It's bigger. It's more. And so right now we only have sort of a, 
a partial knowledge of all there is. But on that side, on that side, there's no need for sort of a partial knowledge because we will be with God and we will see God who is truth fully. I know this is a little philosophical, but I think it's important to talk about. So we'll see God more fully, not through a dim mirror, not just like stories secondhand or written down in the Bible, but we will see and experience God face to face fully. And to me, that is good news. And so as we go from here, my prayer is that we as a community embody the promises of God because God is trustworthy and has promised to make all things new. And so it is good news that we will see God face to face, that God will be among us, and that we'll be given a new body. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.